You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello and welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Monday the 14th of February. A very happy Valentine's Day to all of you out there. It's Tom Stanley in for Nick today and we've got plenty to get through. We'll have some weekend reflection for you but we start with that video which emerged early Saturday evening after racing of licensed trainer and one of the most celebrated riders and and horsemen of all time, Sir Mark Todd, being seen striking a horse who refused to go into a water jump. We are, what, 36 or so hours on from that video emerging. We'll um, really bring you all up to speed with regards to everything we know now. First of all, Dave Yates, newsboy of the Daily Mirror, joins me. And Dave, what was your initial reaction? Yeah, I was shocked. I was disappointed. Uh, I was dismayed, Tom, by what I saw. Um, just I'll explain for anybody who doesn't know uh, what's happened over the last, uh, what, 48 hours, what um, this issue is. On Saturday evening, I think it was, there was uh, a video that appeared on TikTok and it showed Sir Mark Todd at what looks like an eventing clinic uh, whereby a, a woman riding a horse is trying to get that horse into a water obstacle. If you will picture that sort of eventing thing, it's like a, a, a shallow lake. Uh, the horse is reluctant and um, Sir Mark Todd runs at the horse, brandishing a branch and whacks the horse on the backside. The first one is a really winsome uh, hit and he follows that with a further nine hits eventually the horse consents to go into the water obstacle and there is cheering heard in the background but predictably uh, and rightly this has uh, triggered adverse comment outrage uh, on social media so that's where we are with it um i, I was uh, in common with many people very surprised given Sir Mark Todd's uh, stature within the equine world, and I was shocked. I was I was surprised on a, a couple of different levels. And um, if you're holding, if if you are one of the most famous equine practitioners in the world, and I think it's fair to say that Sir Mark Todd is that. Um, he's certainly more famous, I would say, than 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 Gordon Elliott was this time last year, and we'll come on to uh, that in a moment. But would you not think that someone was going to video that clinic uh something like that is going to get out on social media and it's going to cause a storm and even in the era before mobile phones and when everyone had cameras i'd have thought that if you were attending uh, that clinic that that master class then you would come away thinking i really wasn't very happy with uh, sitting on my horse and, and having that horse hit 10 times uh, from behind with a branch. It, the, the, the person who posted the video was uh, the woman who was riding the horse. And we often wonder how this footage emerges after 
after the time that it's been taken. It's believed that this footage took place about two years ago. And um, she reasoned saying that she thought long and hard about uh, putting this footage up and eventually uh, she had decided to do that. Um, it should be said there were lots of people who came out in Sir Mark Todd's defence and they would say that, or they said that his level of expertise is on a different plane um, to that inhabited by those who seek to criticise. But I think there's a there's a very quick and obvious answer to that and, and that is simply that we would not expect someone to hit a horse 10 times with a branch uh, who has the level of expertise that um, Sir Mark Todd obviously has. He has acknowledged that himself. There was, um, I think, something of a, a damage limitation exercise, or at least uh, or, or you could see that way. You could look at it that way, or you could interpret it as a sincere apology. He said, I wholeheartedly apologise to the horse and all involved for my actions in this video clip. This was an apology on Saturday night. One of the things I preach is about establishing a mutual respect between horse and rider, and that patience and kindness is the best way to get results. I believe this is one of the main attributes, along with a great empathy with animals, that has enabled me to have a long and successful career in eventing. I'm very disappointed in myself that I did not adhere to that in this case. I think that those of us who have uh, dealt with animal sports and in our case horse racing for um sufficient time realize that there are that there are physical practices that uh, go on in order to encourage horses uh, to do what we want them to do Th this isn't my little pony um horses don't whether it's eventing or thoroughbred racing they don't walk into an environment know what is required of them and acquiesce with that and go along with every step of their education and there will be uh there will be physical processes uh, that are undergone because you can't sit a horse down and say right well this is why you're here and this is what we want you to do but those practices take place within ethical boundaries we all know that and in this instance i think by by pretty a common agreement unanimous agreement maybe not but certainly uh, a, a, a very strong overwhelming majority what sir mark todd did in that video of a couple of years ago uh, it sits well outside uh, those ethical boundaries. Just want to come back to, to two things you mentioned in that initial response, Dave. Um, first of all, uh, it's cloette.eventing on Instagram who has put up the, the full video there. Um, I say that because I, I think it's worth reading her, her full statement on there. She did initially put a, a shorter video up on, on TikTok which is a, a huge social media platform, as, as we all know, um, particularly well accessed by the younger generation, and then put the full video up on, um, on Instagram. Um, the second half of her statement says, she, I personally am not, am not comfortable with how my horse was treated, and at the time I was a 21-year-old girl who was not brave enough to speak up about my concerns. Now, if you were the age I was, and would confidently speak up against a famous top-level athlete with no reservations, without any support, then I commend you because you are braver than I am. Um, that is in response to her receiving a lot of negativity, she, re she references, for it taking time for her to, 
put the clip up from a training clinic in 2020, she states. That's relevant for something I think we're going to come on to later, Dave. You also mentioned Gordon Elliott and many comparisons have been drawn, um, a lot on social media, and also um, Matt Chapman on Sky Sports Racing drew that comparison immediately uh, with the, the, the debate they had yesterday morning. Um, of course, Gordon was, was pictured sat astride of a dead horse and he was punished as a result. How much can we use the, the ban he received as a, as a marker for what may or may not happen here, Dave? And, and how right are we to draw comparisons? I'm not sure that it's necessarily wise that we should use the Gordon Elliott case as some sort of precedent, but I think that it, that it will be inevitable uh, that that case will be referenced. There, there are differences. Of course, in the Gordon Elliott case, he was sitting astride a dead horse so that there was no animal cruelty. Uh, that horse was also a thoroughbred. This one was very much alive, was an eventing horse, and the, um, the issue did not take, it, it doesn't concern the training of a thoroughbred. However, there is a very strong case that this horse who was alive was uh, the victim of some form of abuse or cruelty. That is certainly what uh, the charge that would be brought uh, against Sir Mark Todd would state. I think that what is common to both, Tom, is that they both uh, were in breach of that essential part of the clause, that essential clause in the contract under which horse racing's license uh, to operate exists, and that is respect to the horse. Um, it, it was pointed out by those who felt that, that Gordon Elliott was treated badly, uh, that there was no element of animal cruelty because the horse was dead. But it, it certainly showed a lack of respect to the horse, and I think this does too. Um, the, the I don't think that if you're caught, and whether this is... Uh, an instant, one instance of, a, of a, an experienced expert losing their temper with a horse. Uh, if you're caught doing that, then you'll go, you, you have to expect um, some sort of censure. The, the, the BHA put out a statement yesterday afternoon which read, uh, the footage seen this weekend of Sir Mark Todd hitting a horse with a branch has rightly caused anger and upset within the equestrian community and beyond. His behaviour for which he has apologised fell a long way short of the standards of care we expect of licensed individuals and that we know is provided to the overwhelming majority of horses in training in Britain every day. The BHA is looking into the incident. So um, I would be very surprised if charges aren't brought over this and I think really that you're going to be looking at a similar sort of punishment. Um, equine welfare is rarely out of the news uh, these days. We know that it's a hot topic and I don't say that in any uh, objecting way. It, it's quite right that it should be. Last week of course we had Kurt Zuma uh, kicking his cat across uh, his kitchen which sparked outrage and th this will be th this will be chewed over uh, by the the radio stations and television today don't think that this won't be on talk sport radio five live i'm absolutely sure um that it will be and i suspect that the as a, having 
started this answer to your question by saying that I don't think we should use uh, the Elliott case as a blueprint. I think that inevitably it will be used as something of a precedent. And I, I think we're looking at a ban here. It wouldn't surprise me if we were looking at the same sort of punishment. So Mark Todd sent out his first runner in August 2019. The statement from the person who uploaded the video said that it took place in 2020. If it, if it transpired that um, Sir Mark Todd wasn't a licensed trainer at the time that this video happened, how important do you think that would be? I think that potentially that could be uh, fatal to any quote-unquote prosecution case because um, I, I, I don't... I don't know whether the BHA has had to deal with something like this before, but I would have thought that if, if a person wasn't on your radar, uh, the BHA's radar, when they re were reported to have done something, then I don't really see how you can take that sort of retrospective action. Say, for example, if a jockey uh, were caught doing something that that brought racing into disrepute but that it was established that that say it's a it's a video on social media and um, say that that took place long before or or a, a year or so plus before a jockey applied for a license or even worked in horse racing then i, I think i think that that is outside the regulator's ambit but as you've said in terms of timings, this is most interesting that it's reported to have taken place in 2020 because when uh, the, the first runners for Sir Mark Todd being in August 2019, that, that, that brings it, I would say, within uh, the BHA's scope as the regulator. The fact that, that it doesn't involve the training of a thoroughbred, well, I would think that would be... Uh, that would be rendered irrelevant, really. Again, I mean, if you're it, it, the 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 disrepute charge uh, is one that is all encompassing, and and uh, I would think that in terms of the timing, that the fact that this seems to have taken place after August 2019 uh, means that the BHA would have the powers to act. Dave, I mentioned obviously that the. The first video was put up on, on TikTok, huge social media platform. The longer video was then uploaded on, on Instagram. As far as the, the wider perception of, of horse racing, how damaging do you think this could be? Again, to, to refer back to the Gordon Elliott case, um, this was somebody that was very well known in, in the horse racing world because of his achievements, uh, you know, winning Grand Nationals and uh, at the, and victories at the Cheltenham Festival, including in the Cheltenham Gold Cup, and so um, in in many ways, when when that footage emerged a year ago, people saw that as emblematic of what goes on in horse racing, and this will be, I think, a similar thing. It, it may be that. Well, it will be that most people associate Sir Mark Todd with his achievements within the eventing world. The, the, the gold medals in Los Angeles, was it, and Seoul at 84 and 88. Um, and many people won't realise, in fact, that he's now a thoroughbred racehorse trainer. But it will, it, it will seep into our world without any question at all. As I, say, I mean, Elliot was squarely in the middle of, of it, and um, Sir Mark Todd 
in the public perception, possibly less so, but we'll all be grouped together uh, in the, the phone-ins that, that take place uh, in broadcast media this afternoon, and it will inevitably cause uh, damage to the image of horse racing. So much goes on in yards up and down the country where the standards of welfare are as high as they possibly can be. Um, racing is apt to show that and is right to show that uh, to a watching world. As I say, it, it's under that license that we're allowed to operate. And when you see things like this, it, it, it inevitably uh, causes damage to, to the, you know, the, the, the good image of horse racing and so i think you know if we anyone who thinks well oh well sir mark todd he's known in the eventing world uh, this isn't really going to affect horse racing i i think that um I think they're barking up very much the wrong tree there. As I say, in, in summary, I think that this will be taken up by the BHA. I, I, that I think Sir Mark Todd can probably expect a ban from the sport, and I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have any sympathy. I'm afraid in this case, it, it's something that's caused an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of outrage, and I'd say, I'd say, Tom, not just by those who seek to be offended and outraged by, by things that they see on social media, of which there are a great many um, who do that. But I think this has caused genuine, uh, a genuine outrage, genuine disappointment, genuine concern. I would say that, um, that another thing that will, I, I, I hope, not be affected by this is the WIP review, um, that it's a, a completely different issue, uh, the Prokush and its application during a race rather than what we've seen on that video. But inevitably, this is going to have very serious ramifications. As Dave says, the BHA statement ends. The BHA are investigating further and we'll bring you more news on that when there is an update throughout the week on Nick Luck Daily. Right, positives now. And there were plenty at the weekend from the action at Newbury and indeed Warwick in the UK. First of all, Brave Man's Game really got the, the pulse racing at Newbury. First race, a novice's handicap chase, and he won it in style as well. He looked very, very fresh in the paddock. And he was very, very fresh and exuberant throughout the race, particularly with his jumping. His co-owner is John Dance. I spoke to him a little bit earlier on, asking, uh, first of all, what he thought watching on. I certainly wasn't odds-on favourite, confident. Um, you know, it was a huge lump of weight he had to give away to the entire field. And, you know, for a rating of 159, I always feel you've got you've got to run in a best part of half a dozen pounds better than your rating to win most handicaps at, at that level and you know the thought of him running in the mid 160s giving away 16 pounds you know that was you know potentially you know with with foresight a, a kind of performance that should be going down in the annals of history but um you know, not quite Denman, Hennessy type, but, you know, not a million miles away. Mm. Yeah, it was always ne- it's always next season. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, God knows what we might be running off in Andy Cup Yeah, year. exactly. Um, you, so you're just telling me you've you got, you got four National Hunt horses. I, I mean, uh, did you have any idea you, that, that one of them would turn out this good? Um, no, not really. I mean, I guess, you know, everyone, when they 
buy a horse, whether it's their first one or, you know, in our case, we've we've had dozens and dozens. You you know, you always buy that horse hoping that it's going to be, you know, a Derby winner or a Gold Cup winner or, you know, some kind of superstar. But you, you, you know, the reality is, very few of them end up being like that. So, um, you know, because we've had quite a few horses these days we're quite well conditioned to even the ones that look promising generally don't make up to be as good as you you dream they might be so um you know for for us to to be lucky enough to have a horse you know even lucky enough to have a horse that did what he did last year as a novice hurdler was pretty um astounding and and obviously this year he's, he's taken it to another level and you know, seems to be you know gaining a cult following, and it's you know it's, it's quite odd and you know privileged to be involved in really. I think much of that is to do with the the campaigning and the fact that he's you know he's he's running some proper races and then comes back off a Grade One win and runs in a in a novice handicap. I think we as fans find that exciting. It's it's very Paul Nichols, and I suppose it takes a certain kind of owner to say, okay, off 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 you go. You you do what you want. You campaign in that way. So um so credit to both of you. What what's your feeling? John, about Cheltenham and how he will run there, given what happened last year and, and the fact that, you know, he, he came there with a with a lofty enough profile, but, well, he, he, you know, he didn't go and win, did he? No, no. Um, you know, maybe two things, uh, or maybe three things, I suppose, you, you, you could argue. I mean, he was always built um, to be a chaser, um, you know, not just in terms of his, his frame, but... Um, you know, physique, etc. And he, he, you know, he wasn't a particularly strong horse last year. Uh, he strengthened this year. I think we could see that right at the start of the season. And you know, Paul's pretty confident that come next year, uh, next season, with another someone on his back, he'll be, he'll be stronger still. And I think a combination of maybe you know not being the most natural hurdler ever, coming across a very good horse who who was you know a much better hurdler uh, than we were, and and. You know, certainly at that stage of their careers, clearly a better horse. Um, and then I think when he went to Aintree, you know, a couple of weeks later, he just he, he just wasn't wasn't himself at all. And I half feel that his Cheltenham performance may have been sort of somewhere between his best and and maybe being sort of flat like he was at Aintree. Maybe it was just you know whatever it was that affected him at Aintree. Maybe. You know, it was just early signs of that because he didn't quite look himself mm. to me that day. That you know, that, not trying to make excuses for him. I think you know, certainly last year Bob Wallinger was um, you know an absolute machine, and I, I think anything would have struggled to beat him, regardless of how on form they were. I, I thought. Um, sorry, I, I just just to say, I go back to to Paul after the Corto Star. I thought um, I remember pretty much the first thing he said when I mentioned Cheltenham this year was. He he brought it straight back to Kempton and and the ne- and next year's King George as if to say you know look whatever happens I can't wait to get him back to back to Kempton for a King George I mean is that is that in the forefront of your mind as well as to what he might achieve next year Yeah no hundred percent and I think they probably had a similar thought to Paul but without it, discussing it with each other or, or obviously Brian Drew um, our co-owner um, but he just seemed to see that trip and track so well you know three miles but it's a sharp sharp enough track you've got to jump quickly and efficiently which is obviously right up his street and 
um, you know, he showed a turn of foot at the end versus a Hoy Senor. You know, it wasn't a case of, you know, two dour stayers, you know, one outstaying the other. You know, it was a genuine turn of foot, I think, from the, the second last, which was, you know, great to, great to see. And I had the same thought that, you know, I, that, that should be our objective and, and you sort of work backwards from that. And if, if Cheltenham fits in it without damaging our chances of, of what is now this year's King George, then then happy days. What sort of buzz do you get in comparison to the flat? How do they compare for you as an owner watching your horses across both codes, John? Um, it's starting to get closer. Um, <laughs> you know, we are, we, are, we are getting borderline Lawrence territory in terms of <laughs> in terms of the thrill, to be, to be honest, which didn't really think would, would kind of be the case. But... Um, I think it's a combination of obviously, you know, we're, you know, we are a bit lucky enough to be winning some big races with, and obviously handicapped with great performances, and just he's such a um, a, a thrilling sight uh, over the fences as well. Is I think that's mm. creating a little bit of buzz, and that maybe helping that that cult following is developing as well. He's just so exciting to watch. Has that surprised you a little bit, given that your I suppose your initial passion and and your initial foray was into flat racing? Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, Brave Man's games probably opened my eyes a little bit more. Um, you know, we went down to Newbury to to watch him um, in the Challow Hurdle, um, and we won a Grade One, and it was amazing. We've got to be honest with you; I was bored halfway round because you know it was just in comparison to the action mm. on the flat, there wasn't a lot happening. Um, Whereas now I'm obviously you know just you know just, just dreamy every time he takes the flight, um, and then it's weird because you you know you you soak up the the adulation that his jumping seems to be getting, uh, you know from from all angles. You do then start comparing him to other horses and watching other horses in in other races and his race, and and then you kind of fall in love. Um, you know, with with the horses taking the fences a bit more than than you did before, because you start appreciating it a little bit more because you're watching it a bit more closely. So yeah, I um, I, I know exactly what you're saying. There's there's something about a chaser in full flight which is pretty hard to pretty hard to replicate. Um, yeah. And yeah, and if you own him, even better or her. So there you are. Um, yeah. Where where are you with the the flat project then? So so James Horton and and, and yourself setting up together. Um, how far away would you be from first runners there? Um, we should hopefully have first runner in about four or five weeks. Um, be an unraced three year old that we that we bought at the breeze up sales last year. Um, we received planning permission on Manor House Farm only just under a fortnight ago. So my, my dream of the entire place being redeveloped by March this year has kind of gone out the window. Um, thankfully, we, we leased a, um, a temporary yard at the other end of Middleham and um, James has got a, a full yard of 32 horses now and we're pretty excited for this year. Um, mixture of um, you know, maybe a dozen almost a dozen older horses some with experience but um, obviously mainly it's unraced two year olds and a couple of unraced three year olds so it's, it's quite exciting we're all looking forward to it
Dave, I thought it was a, a fantastic performance for Brave Man's game, first of all. Um, did it answer the, the questions that, that we were asking on the Nick Daily last week about Paul Nichols' horses? We, we heard from him earlier on in the week as well. We know that he, he had a few days with, with no runners. Are the questions answered? I don't think they were answered comprehensively, Tom. Um, in, in terms of mathematics, uh, at Newbury and Utoxeter, on Saturday, Paul Nichols sent out seven runners and two of them won. So that's a 28% strike rate, uh, which is very close to the 29% uh, that he'd been operating at for uh, much of the season. However, we know it's not quite that simple. If we look at the, the market expectations of the horses, Clondizobo was third in the Denman chase and Hitman was third in the game spirit chase. Um, I think that the, the general perception is that the, um, the, the Nichols horses aren't really finishing their races strongly. And I think that was borne out by Clondes Oboe and Hitman. Afterwards, uh, the trainer said, well, Clondes Oboe just looked after himself a bit. He's like that. And Hitman, he thought, well, you know, he's run a, a perfectly good race to be beaten by two very good two mile chasers. Now, that's certainly not an unreasonable view, but I think most of us still think that there's a, a question to answer. He went into Saturday with a tally of eight winners from 79 runners in Britain and Ireland in 2022. That's obviously way below um, the strike rate that he's used to having. And yeah, I, I don't think that Saturday's events, I, I, I think most people, it was quite interesting in the press room, actually, if I could just um, tell you what happened there, because of course, the first race, the, the novices handicap chase, is Brave Man's Games race. He's the 11 to 8 on favourite. He makes all the running and, and wins impressively. And I think most of us at that point were thinking, right, you know, Nichols roars back, you know, as, as Brave Man's Game leads um, the, uh, the, the renaissance, the comeback, the rear guard. And um, I think what happened during the rest of the afternoon made us, well, temper or change that view Altogether, I think you know. I think the the trainer himself knows that something is um, something is not quite right. He can't put his finger on what's going wrong. But you know, the, the uh, at the moment, the horses don't seem to be finishing their races, and they're not quite operating at the the strike rate that he expects. But coming back to Brave Man's game, I was really impressed by what he did. Um, he was giving £16 and upwards to his rivals. It was interesting, I thought, that Paul Nichols uh, ran him in a handicap as opposed to a conditions race. Uh, he said afterwards, well, I couldn't find one. But Brayman's game, he's a lovely horse to look at. He, um, he jumps. Uh, when, when he goes in short, he puts himself right. Um, there's still a little bit of polish to be applied in that area, possibly. But I think all the raw attributes are there. He's a, he's a really exciting horse. And um, he'll put it up to Galapin des Champs, I think, in the, in the three-miler at Cheltenham next month. He's four from four over fences now. And, uh, you know, I think in a, in a relatively short career, he's a horse that I think lots of us have great affection for. And hopefully that will continue into the seasons that follow. Paul Nichols was already looking forward to uh, King George and gold cups of the future uh, when he spoke on Saturday. And I, I hope that we see Brave Man's game in races like that in the seasons that will follow. Can I pin you down, Dave, to, to pick out one other performance between 
Um, Glory and Fortune winning the Betfair Hurdle for Tom Lacey, Stan Shepherd, Edward Stone, you might want a couple of these, of course, Dave. Edward Stone winning the Kingmaker for Alan King and, and Tom Cannon. We also saw Fulham Sibilla winning for Charlie Deutsch and, and Venetia Williams, the, the Game Spirit, and El Dorado Allen won for Brendan Powell and Colin Tizard, the Denman Chase. Which of those really struck you as a, as a sort of headline writing performance? I'll take two of those, Tom. Um, Glory and Fortune, obviously a, a, a landmark winner, well, Tom Lacey and Stan Shepherd, the jockey in particular, has had an outstanding season. And this was yet another uh, big prize to go his way. But I think, yeah, probably the, the headline act for me was Edward Stone. Um, this horse is already a, a winner at the highest level, of course, when he won the Henry VIII Novices Chase at Sandown in December. That day, third time lucky, was a long way behind. I think he was about uh, 16 lengths behind Alan King's horse uh, that day. He narrowed the gap to four and a quarter lengths at Warwick on Saturday, but Edward Stone looks a really exciting horse. He's an assured jumper. Um, he's now, I think, about a two-to-one favourite for the Arkle Challenge Trophy at Cheltenham next month. He's one of the few British-trained horses for um, the Grade 1 for the championship events, and he's deservedly so, I think, on, on the strength of what he's done so far. He looks really exciting. Um, he carried a penalty there at the weekend and did so, just shrugged it off. I, I think he looks a really exciting chaser for the future and also for the Arkle on March the 16th. Right, slight change of attack now. We saw uh, Lord Glitters win in brilliant style in the, the way that Lord Glitters does on Friday at Maidan in Dubai. Won his second Singspiel Stakes and he's a hugely popular horse. He runs in the, the colours, of course, of Jeff and Sandra Turnbull. Um, they run Elwick Stud, um, the, the late Jeff and, and Sandra Turnbull. And, and Nick is their son. Nick joins me now, the CEO of, of Elwick Stud. If we can reflect, first of all, on, on Friday... Uh, what a performance that was. How did you feel watching on, Nick? Proud, immensely proud, you know. It's uh it's, it's just he's just been a wonderful horse for the family for, for a long, long time now. And you know, the public just seemed to have jumped on the on the bandwagon of it and it's just a big ride that everybody seems to be enjoying. Um I mean, everybody I speak to says the same thing, you know. He's, he's made out night or, you know, he, he sent us out last night. Thanks thanks very much for the tip type thing. But it, it was a conscious effort a few years ago with him, really. He was, um, because of his age, we made a point of saying, look, let, let's leave him in training all year. Um, and not, not really hammer him, but, you know, just sort of keep him ticking over. It's a lot more difficult for an older horse to, to come back after a, after a break. And we just thought, well, let's reduce them breaks to, to virtually nothing. He has an easy life at home anyway. Um, and it seems to be working, you know, just keeping it as as easy as possible for him, really. I think there's there's something about there's a few things about him. One, the fact that he has stayed in training for such a such a while now means that, as you know, we don't always get on the flat, but that the public can really you know buy into his campaigning, and perhaps the fact that he's a grey, perhaps the fact the way he does it as well. We, you know, he's going to be dropped out, and you know he's going to have to pick his way through the field. That makes it all the all the more exciting. But um, you know, he he he'd be one of the most popular flat horses around at the moment. I'd say. Well, without a doubt, without a doubt, and you, you, you're correct. I mean, the way it comes at the end, normally, it, it, unfortunately, you get a lot of races where you know that if he's front or back is seventeen lengths, it's a lot more difficult than when it's seven lengths, you know. But unfortunately, it's just the way you've got to run it. Um, you can't light him up early. 
he does travel very, very well at a high speed um, because of his stride length, I think, really, more than mm. anything. But he's a beautiful horse, and, and the grey the gray certainly seems to sparkle in the desert anyway. Ah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm interested about the international campaigning. You know, it's, it's something, of course, that that your folks and, and David O'Mara did successfully with Mondi Elise as well. It's Is there something that about it that, that sort of lends itself to your horse? Is there something about it that excites you, travelling these horses abroad? It, it certainly excites the family. It was a big reason uh, that Dad purchased both of those horses, if I'm honest. He wanted, to, he wanted to race abroad. He wanted to go to the Breeders' Cup. He wanted to go to Hong Kong. These big meets in, in Dubai, you know. Um, and it's very exciting. You get to travel around as a family. Um, and we've had a lot of joy out of it over the last what, five, six years. So it, it is specific. Yes, he did do it consciously, knowing that he wanted to race around the world. Um, but obviously, with Mondi, he was looking. He was looking for a stallion, mm. um, and to keep him going till he was seven as well just shows what a good job David does, you know. And um, obviously, you, you've got a, a stallion in the form of, of Mondi. At least he's in France now, is he? He is in France. Yes, we stood him for the first two years here. Um, but as you know, I always find that the English market is, is really the stallion side is, 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 you know, it's generated from agents rather than real figures, certainly in the first two years. Um, and I think the French don't do that so much, you know, the, the, the far more family-based, so if they'll look at the family of the horse, and Mondelez fits into that, really. He comes from a French family. Um, his, his damn sire is Caldoun, which goes back to Caro, which, which is a big thing in France, you know. Um, and the numbers that we're looking at getting in France seem to be seem to be higher, um, considerably higher anyway. So mm. it, it, it's looked like it's been the, the right option. We do support him still. I'll be sending another 10 to 15 mares out this year. And we're probably sending 10, 8 to 10 three-year-olds out of France to run who are Mondays just to sort of back him up over there, you know. How conscious are you, Nick, of, of carrying on the... The great work that your your dad did, and that he you know really laid the foundations for what's becoming a quite a, a big operation now. It, it is becoming quite a big operation. It was it was it was his love. There's no two ways about that. But you know, his first horse he bought was around ninety ninety nine, I think. Um, and he just he fell in love with the game straight away. And if I'm honest, it's it, you know during the last 10, 15 years of his life, it was a shared love that, that we both had. You know. Um, and it's, it's just exciting for the whole family to see that it's coming to fruition. But as you know, in the breeding game, nothing's quick. It's it's a two, three, four-year thing, you know. Um, you go, you send your mare to a stallion and you're not seeing that on the track for three years. Yeah. Uh, so you, you know, to getting, that, getting that thing going, which he did, and, and, the, and the start, and, and obviously the hardship that you take in the first couple of years, I'm just glad he was here for, you know. Um but to get it where it's at now and where we, we potentially will be going is, is very, very exciting at the moment. Uh, Nick, uh, great stuff. Good luck going forward and well done again with, with Lord Glitters. Fabulous to see. Wonderful. Thanks, Tom. Dave, that is us for today. Please, can you send us away with a winner? We're going to the 5.30 at Wolverhampton, Tom. Axel Jacklin, a horse who's uh, had a second and a first to his name from two runs in 2022. Last time out, made the running over course and distance to score with ease in a classified stakes. He's into a handicap here off 52, but I can see him winning again. Uh, there shouldn't be too much competition for the lead. I think Axel Jacklin can make all here. It's the 5.30 race at Wolverhampton, selection number five, Axel Jacklin.
Dave, thanks very much indeed. Thanks to everyone at home for listening. Uh, timely reminder to, to rate us, review us, and of course subscribe because it does make it easier to listen each and every day. Nick will be back tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.